Well, I feel honored that you're even interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming out here. I, I'm stoked to have you. Yeah, um, I'm glad welcome. to be here. Thanks. You're uh, you're one of my favorite photographers in Jacksonville. Um, I really, well, I first got introduced, I guess we should say how we, we met. We met at a uh, Void photo gallery. Yes. Where we both were honored to have our pictures in there. Was it their photo book? Is that what they call it? Yes, I think it was uh, their photo annual, and they had a show of some selected pieces from the annual. Right in the show, yeah. they had kind of put them up on the wall, and yeah, yeah that was, was a, and we got to see it. Like th that was just such a cool experience because I'd had a few pictures before put in their magazine, but it, it was an honor to be with you guys. And you had a great one. The if anyone goes back and back and look at it, you had an awesome shot of from up above. Of, I don't remember who it was, but he was lying on his surfboard and he had the boards laying around yes, him. Yes, yes, Logan Gray. Yeah. Uh, Logan is a um, really good surfer um, that lives up in Mayport and he has a large collection of 70s and 80s uh, surfboards shaped by Florida shapers right. from that time period. And they're just, they're just, uh, they're pretty rare now. They're hard to find. Yeah. And he's accumulated a pretty large collection. In the colors, that was like the the really cool part because it's obviously it was lying down on the green grass, and then he has just a range of colors surrounding. It was like a rainbow of surfboards. It was it was yeah. a very cool visual, yeah, to see from a different perspective than what you usually have. Yeah, and that was a good example of um, go kind of making do with what you have. Um, yeah, because originally I was gonna I was going to shoot that with a drone. That's because right. I wanted a, a straight over, straight overhead view of Logan, but the problem was is that area because it's so close to the Navy base is restricted airspace. Yeah. So I couldn't fly it, and so um, I said, "What about the roof?" <laughs> and Logan goes, "Yeah, I've got a ladder." So I climbed up on the roof, and it worked out pretty good. And then, of course, his dog running around really I thought made the shot because yeah. the dog kind of ran ran around and then for a second he logan grabbed him and then he looked up at the camera um, for just a couple of moments and i was able to get a, a frame in of, of the dog looking and logan looking and so that yeah i thought that kind of um that made it special it was yeah it definitely added like a fun element to it yeah that you couldn't have planned for you know it would have been right. really hard to try to get a dog to line up correctly <laughs> yeah. They're very hard to take pictures of, but it worked out really well. <laughs> it did. Yeah, that was a fun that was a fun shot. And he was very gracious to, you know, give me the time to do that. It was something we had talked about and I had kind of sketched it out. I keep a sketchbook of ideas. And so I had thought about that for a while. And then one day I called him and I said, hey, we should just give this a try and see if we can make it work. And yeah, uh, and it so did. It did. It was yeah. very cool. Mm -hmm. And. I was I was scrolling through your Instagram uh, some last night, just looking over some of the shots you've done, and it's a uh, it's interesting. You've traveled all around the world, and you've you've been to some really cool places to to get amazing pictures. And some of my favorites though are the ones you get here in Atlantic Beach when you just are able to catch it. It's just this beautiful light and the clouds and just the reflections of the water. And those are some of my favorite shots because. I think that with photography, sometimes people underestimate the value of your backyard. Yes. And they only think, 
a good shot is somewhere where you have to fly 12 hours to get to or drive across country or whatever and take a picture of something that's been taken a million times. But you have a very great ability in capturing moments in your backyard and then making them really just beautiful. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Wilson. I think um, sometimes what's right out your back door can be the subject matter can be incredible, but you have to look at it in a fresh way. Uh, I think sometimes we all kind of get caught in a formula, you know, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to shoot this. And it it looks kind of like what other people have done. And I'm always trying to kind of push myself and say, is there a point of view or a perspective that maybe people haven't seen before in Jacksonville or at the beach or whatever? And that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it can be kind of, it can be magical. And a lot of times it's the weather may come into play or it may be um you know it may be the subject matter that you're shooting or 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 whatever or the light is just very unusual but we've got some um just in this area we've got some incredible landscapes yeah and a big variety of them very close to us we have a huge we have we have more variety i think than most people realize you know oh for sure like just the fact that we have a huge downtown we have very big river system, the intercoastal, St. John's, all of that. But we also have multiple beaches. We are access to Fernandina, Hannah Park, like all these places that if you look at from, especially from an aerial perspective, which I know is something you like to do, Mm -hmm. you really can see the difference in like the topography and just the colors and the way it's shaped. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, this part of Florida is still one of the least developed parts of the state this Mm. and probably the panhandle Um, because if you look at the history of florida most of the early development was from i'd say orlando south Um, Mm. tampa was a town that was started in the late 1800s as miami was around 1900 and that's so if you if you study the history of florida Unfortunately, those parts of the state have become, they're so developed that you don't have a lot of natural spaces like you have up here. Totally. So I feel in a lot of ways, we're very lucky to have, um, well, one fact a lot of people don't know is we have one of the largest urban park systems in the United States in Duval County. Really? Yeah. Yeah, of the Much of the land here has been preserved through previous mayors and- And so a lot of the land on like Cedar Point and all that is, it's all preserved land. And I work a lot with the Tamaquan Parks Foundation to kind of feature some of these parks and preserves that are in our area. And and they're very unique. They do have, uh, there's a lot of interesting landscapes here. And you can go, you can drive half an hour, an hour out of town, and then you're in real wilderness. Um, Yeah. We were just up in Okefenokee Swamp last week. I'm shooting some work up there for a client. And that's just an incredible wilderness area. I mean, it's tens of thousands of acres of just, you know, virgin swamp. And there's deer and alligators and all kinds of birds up there. And it's, you know, it's pretty much an hour and a half from Jacksonville. So you can do it as a day trip. Yeah. 
So and, and speak, you mentioned you're doing you do work with um, Tim Aquan. Mm-hmm. Um, you you recently came out with a book, right? A yes. photo book. I want to hear about that. Yeah. So uh, one of the silver linings of the COVID um, epidemic was the pandemic, excuse me, um, was that we had a lot of free time on our hands. And because travel had been restricted, right. uh, we decided to visit some places in Florida that I had, I had been wanting to see for a, a long time, but just didn't for whatever reason, we were traveling to other countries or whatever, but yeah. because we couldn't, we said, hey, we'll just do a trip um, in in Florida. So my wife and I um, took a month and we planned to um, visit some of Florida's really wild waterways. There are a few of them left mm-hmm. and they're scattered throughout the state. And we wanted to explore them on paddleboards because paddleboards can kind of get into areas that are um skinny we call it skinny water where you have to go way up into a creek or whatever and they're just great for that and plus they're excellent platforms once you kind of get used to it for photography so i was able to come up with a i figured out a way to have two waterproof cases um set up on my paddleboard one in the front that had all my still cameras okay and then the one in the back had my drone. So I was able to kind of launch the drone from the wow. paddleboard. And so, you know, you'd go into these these places that are just completely off the grid. And then you take the drone up a few hundred feet and you can really get a sense of perspective um, that you've probably never seen before in Florida. So were these inflatable paddleboards? Yes. Okay. Yes. And okay. we had done some research and there's a company here called iRocker Sup. Hmm. which is actually based in Jacksonville. Oh, cool. And Shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, and they they manufacture these inflatable boards. They're not really for paddling, you know, in the surf or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're great for still water. They're, they're, they're light. They're very stable. Um, and so we got a, an electric pump that you can use, um, that you can use with your car battery and decided to we kind of plotted the entire route um through using google maps we did a lot of research before we started our journey and then we began in in wikiwachi which is in the kind of it's on the gulf coast near um it's like a crystal river ocala area exactly and that that's a beautiful run it's kind of in more of a it's more developed there. But then from that point, we kind of went up into, we did two or three paddles on the Suwannee River. Mm. We ended up in Cedar Key. Then we worked our way up to the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge. Wow. Um, did, a, did a couple of beautiful paddles on the Wasissa River, which is a very remote river in the Panhandle. Um, ended up in the panhandle near the dune lakes and did some paddles there so in the end we probably did 14 paddles over 30 days and they were pretty much all day paddles and then i would shoot um photography fly the drone and then my wife kept a journal okay and that ended up becoming a blog and at the end of the trip we decided that we would create a book about this because not just a book, but a guide mm-hmm. for people that 
so that they could experience these places like we did. And, and because we had done all the planning and we had a lot of good detailed information about these places, yeah. um, it would make it a lot easier for someone else right. if they wanted to take a trip. That is, I think that is so cool because I think there are so many places that are just not known about because the barrier to entry is kind of difficult. Like you said, like you would, you had to do a lot of planning, you had the paddle boards, like, which is a specific like boat for that type of activity and being able to share that through the use of your photography and the words written by your wife, I'm sure like, I'm sure that was, that's a very beneficial tool to have for people. Yeah. And, uh, it actually, interestingly, the, um, I was posting the photos on Instagram and iRocker Sup ended up partnering with me on some, on a couple of projects because of that. And they're going to feature some of these on their website, a couple oh, of these nice. paddles that we did. And so that's been, that's been kind of fun. And then, um, on July 15th, I'm going to give a talk along with Will Dickey about it's going to have a little bit of, um, at the beaches museum for the Tamaquan uh, trail parks foundation about this journey and what oh, we did and all cool. that. So yeah, it's, That's awesome. it's going to be fun. Yeah. Is it, it's so amazing that nowadays, especially with social media and photography that just through the use of creating quality content and tagging people, brands and such like, then they have the ability and it's so easy for them to reach out to you, connect, and then create a partnership and then from there be able to do cooler and cooler things like oh yes you know 10 years ago like you really couldn't do it at like you could now and that's just such a game changer to photography i think so true i mean it you know when i started in the marketing business none of this existed and so it's for me it's just been a revolution you might say of how how you get your name out there and how yeah. you promote yourself. I mean, it's really come now down to the individual. When I started, it was only big companies had that kind of power to flood the airwaves or right. television with messages. And now an individual can do that on these, you know, I, these very incredible platforms. So it's crazy. Yeah. And speaking of getting started, how did you get into photography? Hmm. And when did you get into it? Uh, it's kind of a long, well, it's a, it's a long story. I took a, I always tell people I took a 30 year detour in um, marketing and advertising. Um, but my first love was always photography. Mm. It was, I studied it at um, the University of North Florida. Oh yeah, um, I'm right now. Yeah, yeah. Go on with through. a teacher, um, Paul Carabinas, okay. who is an excellent, photographer who really specializes in alternative processes. And so that's actually where I met my wife was in a photography oh, class. there you go. <laughs> and we learned all the traditional methods, black and white film right. processing, working in a dark room, uh, burning and dodging with an enlarger. So I learned all, all the, the photographic process in that traditional way. And then we experimented with salt prints and pinhole cameras and that type of thing. So I had a real interest in photography, but when I got out of school, I quickly realized that it was going to be very difficult for me to, um, you know, I was, I had just gotten married. I was starting a family yeah. to, you know, to make a living at that. So, um, I ended up working in marketing and advertising for 30 years. And then, uh, 
about five years ago, I started, I realized that I kind of wanted to have a change in direction in my life. I just kind of felt like I was coming to the end of something. Mm. And so um, I decided to just turn towards photography again. And at first it was very modest. I just had a one camera and I started playing around with it. And um, what really everything, what changed for me was starting to post some photos on Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, I started posting some photos and people liked them. And then I, the feedback kind of got me more. The instant feedback too. Yeah. It's very mm -hmm. different than when it, like how it used to be. Now you can immediately figure out if something is a hit or not, which is correct. Sometimes yeah. good. Sometimes it's bad. You know, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. but it is instant it's funny yeah and so that kind of led me to it gave me some confidence right um and i sh and i also joined a an online community called um that was sponsored by national geographic called nat geo your shot it no longer exists anymore but it was a great online community where um people from all over the world would post photos and then sometimes if the the photos were good enough they would be actually used in assignment work for national geographic and they would post these requests hey we're doing a story on mountains or um your you know what's it like being in your home area yeah and then people would post photos and i actually had some success there i started getting a couple of photos published in stories and stuff online and that really kind of boosted my confidence and the other thing that was great about that was the editors would always they were always very clear and uh about what they liked and why they liked it hmm. so when a photo got in they would tell you the reason why so i started learning about the idea of narrative in photography right a photograph needs to tell a story or um, composition, um, lighting, the, the importance of light, um, all of that. I started realizing, wow, this is just, you know, it started opening all these new worlds for me. So um, that's kind of really built my confidence. And then about two years ago, um, I started really pursuing it full time. So that's what I've been doing for the last two years now. Wow, that is, it's so cool to, that you got to have those editors co comment back to you and just to have that oh, level yeah. of expertise when you were getting back into it to then just absorb all that knowledge. Um, but why do they not have that anymore? The, your well, shop? you know, Na National Geographic has gone through a tremendous changes in the last 30 years, just like most other publications have. Mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me uh when i was growing up it was you know the circulation of that mat was primarily the magazine that right. people subscribed to and it was probably millions i don't know it was pretty much every household in america had national geographic <laughs> on their the, coffee table and, ex yeah. exactly and yeah. then as time went on television became more prominent and then the magazine the the circulations just started declining and declining mm -hmm. and i think now the only i think the um only editions that are still printed are in other countries i think the ones oh, here wow. in the united states are i think they still do special editions and yeah. all that so anyway they started 
this um, this online community because of they they wanted to source photography, but they didn't have the budget to hire hundreds of photographers for mm -hmm. content. Yeah. So like a lot of other companies, I mean, there's, you see this now in the stock photo world. I mean, there's sites now, like there's that one Unsplash that mm. pretty much it's free photography. Yeah. I mean, you know, so all of those changes really caused them to look at their model, figure out what they were going to do, how they could, they, they could accommodate those changes. And then recently they were bought by Disney. Right. About... Yeah. This was actually when your shot was still going on, and basically Disney just shut it all down. It was huh. a money. It was a money thing, you know. They and they're said, a business, hmm? and they're a business. A and huge they're a business. business. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's kind of a bummer that something like that doesn't exist anymore. Because oh yeah, it that was... is such a great thing for young photographers. I mean, anyone and just people getting into it. And it is kind of sad to see that print is. Print's not dead because there are still people that do print, but it is not what it used to be. And I know that there's, I have a much more rewarding feeling if I get a picture printed in a magazine yeah. than up on a website. There's just something really cool about like opening something up and being like, wow, that is, yeah. someone used my picture, paid money to have it printed, and I'm holding it right now. It's just, it's the coolest thing in the world, I think. It is. No, it's very true. And yeah. I think uh, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road when you, you see something printed or you have, you frame a print, it's still a, it's something tangible then. It's real. Right. You know, you can it, hold it, you can feel mm -hmm. it. it. It's no longer just a megapixel on a phone or an, on a computer. It's like, it's right there and like, it's now visual and people can come and see it and mm -hmm. hold it themselves and it's pretty magical. Yeah. And I think for every trend, there's always a counter trend. And I think yeah. we're kind of, um, there's the proliferation of images now, uh, is just so incredible that we're just inundated with massive amounts of data and imagery every day. And I think people are beginning to kind of the counter trend now is I want to see something that's tangible, that's real. So mm -hmm. this idea of a, a book or an actual print or a magazine is, is something right. that people think people are kind of gravitating towards. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that there, I think with so much change going on in the world and there's a lot of issues here and there, whatever, um, I think there's a human desire for the past sometimes and to have nostalgic things. Mm -hmm. And something that is nostalgic is a printed magazine or a photo book because that's, something that happened that they could do longer times ago and they still could do it now, but it's just, it kind of brings it back down. And that's like a difference between like reading a book on your phone versus reading it like a hard copy. You know, you don't have the distractions. Like it's just this, like that's, it's just mm -hmm. this book and there's nothing else. Yes. Um, so I totally do think that it will come back in a way not in the same way it did, but in the sense that people are going to search for that nostalgic feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, that this whole interest in film photography is part of that, you know, counter trend that film, there's something uh, 
there's something real about it. Mm -hmm. It's not a digital form. It's an analog form of photography. And um, I have a Hasselblad camera that I've been using and I love it because it kind of brings, you know, it flood all the memories of when I first started getting into photography kind of come back to me. And because everything is manual, it's a lot, it's a lot more, you feel more connected when you're shooting something. Right. You're, you're not, you know, I love digital and, and it's amazing what you can do with um, digital cameras and the lenses today are just, um, you know, they're so sharp and perfect, but there's something about film that um, is just, it can be so good if it's if it's processed correctly and printed correctly. It just has a beautiful look to it. Well, and I think it also, it slows the process down and yes. it forces you, it forces you to really know your stuff. Because mm -hmm. if you don't know, like with a digital camera, you can get away with not really knowing what you're doing for simpler images. But with film, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to ruin the shots. And you also have a limited number of shots. Yes. So you have a limited number of <laughs> yeah. chances to get this picture. Yeah. Whereas I can turn on my camera and I could take 4,000 pictures of an event and one of them's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it was, it's not hard, but that is a big difference. And it's, it's interesting. Um, to switch back and forth and to use both. And I think using a film camera benefits your digital photography because you can take those principles that you have from the film camera and push it towards your digital. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that you, what you said is very true that when you slow down, you observe more. Yeah, you have to take and, it in. Yes. Because you every shot is precious. Mm -hmm. So you have to make the most of how many is it 24 shots mm, it depends like if it's a 35 millimeter it could be 24 if it's a medium format it's usually 12. Okay, yeah so i mean even yeah. less i mean you really have to be aware of what's going on in your environment mm -hmm. yeah very true yeah, yeah but it's fun it's uh it's so different in fact i um in the book i shot some images with the hasselblad using a infrared filter mm. on the camera and what's cool about infrared is that it cuts down 95 percent of the light that comes through the lens wow so it but it's picking up this infrared spectrum and so everything has this kind of surreal look to it because what is green becomes white oh that's interesting. what is blue becomes very dark and so you get this I love it for nature photography because you just, you look at these, um, the landscapes in a totally different way. And so I'd run around and set up my camera with on a tripod because you're taking these very long exposures, like 25, 30 seconds. The long exposures, those are, those are some of my favorite images. I think they are so cool. I mean, and you, you've got them nailed. You do a lot of, I mean, being here in Florida, we have access to waves obviously and you do a yeah. lot of those and i love them there I mean, it's like a it's like a painting but you took it with a camera and it's just so cool to be able to see. yeah those. it's um i love camera movement and um the idea of slowing time down and it gets back to when i was working with mr carabinus um, doing alternative processes because 
pinhole cameras are like that. Hmm. A pinhole camera is extremely simple. It's just you take, um, it's a box, it's a black box that's light proof. Right. And you take a piece of tin or copper and a needle and you just put a very, very tiny hole in the piece of metal and that's your lens. That's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how all photography works. I mean, you're just, you have a, and then you have a piece of film on the back of the box and then- yeah. What you do is you just have a piece of tape and then you pull the tape up and you let the light come through that little pinhole for a period of time. And so <laughs> we would do these long exposures for, yeah. you know, sometimes a minute, two minutes, but you'd get these really interesting effects because you're letting all the, you know, the light is coming in and you're let you're slowing time down. So I think that goes, my interest in camera movement and all that goes all the way back to when I first started playing around with those pinhole cameras. Yeah, I love doing the the motion blurs. Um, I, when I got into surf photography, if I was shooting from the land, I didn't really have, I don't have a long, super long telephoto lens. So I mm -hmm. always was thinking, what can I do to make this shot more interesting? And then I found out how to actually do a motion blur with action. and somewhat keeping the surfer in focus and having everything be a blur. So it just looks like he's flying through space. And yeah, those are, I think those are some of the coolest things. Yeah. And I, I started, um, I study a lot of, you know, I have my photo heroes and one of them, um, is, uh, I can't remember his name now. It's, um, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, Ernst Haas, um, H A A S. And he was one of the earliest photographers to really embrace color photography. Huh. And if you ever get a chance, check out his work. Okay. He's influenced my work a lot, but he's done a lot of, he did a lot of motion camera movement type yeah. work and was always very interested in nature um, and landscape photography. Just, and he was very popular very in the 60s and early 70s okay and so sometimes i'll kind of go back and i'll look at his work because i just i find it very inspiring and would you consider yourself a landscape photographer is that your your favorite i think for me yes it's kind of uh where i think i have a lot of skills as far as being able to kind of look at a, a scene and try to figure out what's interesting about it mm -hmm. um but I have been getting more into uh, macro photography. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I have noticed some of that. Yeah, yeah. and I I like that because it's kind of you're seeing these little worlds that they're all around you, but you never notice them. Right. And then all of a sudden, you look like I was when I was in the Okefenokee last week. I ended up shooting some small, you know, lizards and yeah. things like that on on plants and stuff, and it's just. If you can get close enough, it's just incredible the um, the the subject matter, you know, and it's right there in front of you that you yeah. and you don't even realize it until you really start again observing and looking. Yeah, it is. It is so weird to think about when we're walking around. We have all these little civilizations and worlds that live yeah. around us, and we're not even aware of it. And then macro photography really allows you to hone in on that and mm -hmm. just focus. It's really, really cool to see. Yeah, it's fun. It's And it's a different, you have to have, 
you can do it with a telephoto lens. You don't have to have a macro lens, but I do have a macro that if I have the time, I'll pull one out and um, it focuses what they call to a one-to-one ratio. So you can get extremely close to a subject. Is it like a hundred millimeter or something? It's an 85 millimeter, but you know, you can literally get the lens within an inch of something. Yeah. For people who don't know a lot about lenses, that is very close. Like that is not normal. (laughs) That's right. You have to have a very specific lens for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But so out of all the, I'm always curious, and I always ask this to people who who've traveled a lot and you've definitely traveled all over. Do you have a favorite place that you've ever gone to that has been like your your favorite destination? And then on the other side of that question is what's your bucket list location? Mm, good question. Uh, I would say. Wow. I would say Indonesia has probably been the most interesting place I've ever been. And it's not just the fact that uh, there are these, you know, it's an all this series of islands. Right. Um, in this, uh, I guess it would be in the Southeast Pacific. Anyway, um, it's just a totally different culture than ours. Mm. Um, we spent a month on the island of Bali and then ended up going to Lombok, which is near Bali. One is Hindu, the other is Muslim. Lombok is much more uh, undeveloped, but spectacular scenery and a very interesting culture on both of those islands. I'd like to go back someday and explore some of the other ones, but I just was fascinated by how people live there. They live very differently than we do. They live very simply, right? They live very simply and they are also very spiritual, Um, especially in Bali, the Hindu culture there, religion is very front and center in their lives. So if you're, let's say you get up in the morning, you'll see a woman burning offerings on a little temple right outside of the house to, you know, and she's praying for, um, for a good day or for um, whatever it may be. So they're very... They're very spiritual people and religion is very important in their lives. So it's not like here where you just go to church on Sunday. You're, you know, you're like one day of the week go to church like there. It's like an everyday type of thing. Yes. And they have, um, if you studied Hindu, especially the Hinduism that's practiced in Bali, they have all these different gods. Mm. And so each God has its own importance. One might be, for, you know, you might pray to a God for success in business, or you might pray to a God to heal a relative or whatever. But these, um, they have these religious festivals that go on literally almost every day of the year. So you'll see people um, gathering for a festival, or um, they may, they don't really pray in churches, they're just praying outside that's so in the environment yeah very different very different than here yes and uh i'll never forget talking to some we went there this was a couple of years after the bali bombing i don't know if you remember that but there was a terrorist bombing there and i was talking to the balinese people about what had happened and all that and they 
instead of treating it as if we're going to find out who these people were and seek revenge, they were looking at themselves and saying, why did it happen to us? What have we done to create an wow. atmosphere where terrorists would do something like this? Oh my gosh, that is completely different. So it all gets back to karma. Like, did yeah. we create a, a, car, a karma that made other people feel, you know, come up with a reason to, for violence? So that just gives you a sense of how differently they approach things than than we do. That's crazy. I mean, that is complete opposite. Yeah. To how how we do that in America, is- we raise an army, we attack the enemy. Yeah. You know, and I and I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, it, we did that for for very good reasons, right. but over there, it, it's just the way they approach things is very different than us. Now, when you go and you experience that, and you said you were there for a month, so mm-hmm. you're pretty within the culture. You're not just there for a weekend, right? Does that change your perspective on life, like when you come back to the United States? Oh yes, yeah. I think travel is one of the best ways for you to. Um, it, it travel just i think it makes you a more complete and balanced person hmm. because you start you you begin to identify with other cultures and how they live and how the world works beyond the world that you live in right here in Jacksonville right. and, and in this area so i think because and also you observe things in a different way and so i think it helps your the way you see things, the way you photograph, the way you, you know, in general, just approach life. I think it's very important for people to travel. For me, it's something that I have to do because it's kind of like a reset for me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. it, just like when I go surfing, you know, and you're out in the water, it's you're, you're in this environment that you're not normally in. And so you're, you're picking up, you know, the sound of the waves and the, and the birds flying and all that. So you're, it's like a reset, and I think travel is is very similar to that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's healthy to to leave the bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our own bubbles, whether it's the city we live in, the state we live in, our neighborhood, whatever it is, and you get tied up in it, and then your whole thought process is based on what's going on in that bubble. Yes, but there's a global bubble, and there's a lot of other opinions, a lot of other perspectives, and you don't have to agree with all them. You don't have to practice all of them, but to know that they're there and to see them and witness them and understand them, I think can completely change how you view your own world. Yes, and the fact that you're meeting other people. My, mm-hmm. When we travel, my wife and I always try to really engage people and talk to them and figure out how, why, why they, how they live and why, what's important to them. Right. Um, and I'll give you just another interesting story. I was yeah. talking to this guy when we were in Bali who he was a, he was the head of the household in a, in Bali, the entire family, including the grandparents, the, the, the whole family lives together in a single kind of complex. Huh? Yeah. So and that's he, normal. That's really? normal. Okay. Yeah. So you'd have the grandparents living in. They're almost like a Balinese house is almost like has pods. So oh. the grandparents will live in one pod and then the, the the family will live in another. And so 
I said, well, how do you get along? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, what happens when you have an argument? He right. Goes, he says, well, in our home, we have a special room where we all go and we work out our differences in this room. And it's it's a place where no, no one is judged. Everyone is listened to. And he said, that's how we we solve our family differences. Just open communication. No. And I'm thinking, wow, it's yeah. so, you know, wow, boom. I mean. Yeah. It's so simple, but no one does that yeah, here. I yeah. Mean, it's it's and very, that, you keep it to yourself. You push it down. You push it down. And then one day it explodes. And I, I thought to myself, man, that makes so, it's, it's really smart. You yeah. know, you don't have, um, and you find that the people there are happy. You know, they may have very little in terms of wealth or things or whatever, but inside they're happy and they're fulfilled and they're living a very rich life yeah do you think that someone who lives like in the united states let's say here for example do you think someone could move there adapt that lifestyle and then become as happy as they are or do you think it's something you have to be born into Mm. i think a lot of i mean i think if the idea of happiness is a is means different things to different people. Right. But I think it's internal. I think if you live a life of gratitude and thankfulness for the things that you have been, the gifts you've been given, yeah, then you're a happy person. If you're, if you're always um, looking at, you know, what is that, the, the glass half full or, or yeah, whatever. I, yeah. I think a lot of it is how you approach life in general. Right. And they are probably a very grateful group of people well their religion stresses that oh okay um hinduism is all about karma and um making sure that you treat people as you would want to be treated so another interesting story is if you went into a supermarket in bali and let's say you you took put something in a shopping cart and you didn't pay for it, you may have forgotten about that. Let's say you put it in there and for some reason you didn't pay for it and you walk out of the store, you will go back to the store to pay for that item because it is considered bad karma to consciously know that you took the item without paying Mm. for it. So the bad karma can lead to other bad things. Right. So again, a very different kind of philosophy about how you live your life. Is, is there less crime there because of that? Yes, I'd say in general there yeah. is. I would say violent crime is extremely rare there. Really? Yeah. Much Murders just don't happen there. There yeah. may be theft and stuff like that, but murders there are pretty rare. Because if they're all believing and living the life of thinking about karma, if you were to murder someone, that's it's pretty bad karma. It's going to come back on you and not yeah. only on you, on your family and you're the descendants of your oh, family. So it, oh, it yeah. keeps going generationally. Okay. Yes. Yes. It's it's very it's very different than, uh, than here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder, it would be interesting to see if those principles, especially the living together, if it were brought over here more and people tried it, how it would go. I don't know. I don't know if it would go well. Yeah. I mean, you know, United States has a lot of great qualities yeah but i think as i said before travel can open your mind up to other ways of living and experience in the world right 
So I'm not saying that that what their way is better than ours. It's, it's just, just different, right? And it works for them. Mm-hmm. And there's other cultures that have different ways. And yeah, and know. I think it gets back to like what I was saying is if you live a life that you're thankful for the things you have. Some of that I learned from talking to the people over there. You know, before that I was, I just looked at things differently, and so it was yeah. a very good experience for me personally. Well, it was probably, I think, going to places like that where it's not a very, it's not, is it, it's not considered, is it considered impoverished there? No, I would say in general, their culture um, is fairly well developed. Okay. And people, ha- the, uh, the, you know, the, you don't see po- poverty there. There is some like here. Yeah. But you, most people are pretty industrious. They're very good craftsmen. Um, they have a wonderful um, uh, talent for creating things. Oh, okay. So you, are they very artistic? Oh, extremely yeah. artistic. Yeah. Like you'll go out into the um, outside of the cities. There's all these places where they almost have these guilds. I don't know if you know what a guild is, but it's where you have the the idea of craftsmanship you have an apprentice then you have the master craftsman and then you you know so they all learn from each other and Mm. they kind of over the years they and they're very proud of what they do that's very cool Mm -hmm. but it is so it's a more modest way of living though i'm sure very modest Yeah. yeah you don't see um most of the bigger buildings and things are catered to tourists tourism there is very big and it's it's important to their economy but once you get outside of the cities, it's a uh, agrarian. It's kind of rural. There's it's rice farming, um, s- you know, small places where people live off of the land. It's so crazy to think about, like when you think about like a city like New York or something that's a very industrial like, um, and then you think about there's other places in the world like like there's rice paddies and people are working the rice paddies and they're they're making mm-hmm. their it's just the polar opposites and it's in the same time period. You know, yeah, it's crazy that they've continued to it's it's really amazing. Yeah, and I think it makes you realize is that they live more in harmony with the land. Oh. So I, you know, there's so many things about Bali that I found interesting. Instead of you using insecticides to solve let's say a problem with something is eating the rice yeah they'll use an animal like they'll a lot that you'll see mm-hmm. ducks everywhere in the rice paddies and the reason they have ducks in the rice paddies is because they're eating all these thing these insects that oh could gosh. that could you know eat the rice wow that is really cool yeah and it's simple i mean you'd see them you'd see them marked with paint like they would be and they would be that farmer's ducks and it's like they're <laughs> it's like they're you know um uh, pest control that is so cool yeah and the ducks now, get fed and then they're just the exactly, circle of life yeah exactly so you know really smart that they they try to do live in harmony with with um nature and all that it's very evolved mm-hmm. wow well so okay so then that being your probably favorite place you've gone to what is like bucket list location no i would say the bucket list would be bhutan where, where's that? That is in Central Asia. Okay. It's a very unique country. 
that um, it is it borders Tibet, India, and China, huh. and they also have a very interesting culture there. Um, tourism is extremely limited because they don't want to overdevelop c- the country. It's mm. it's kind of in the foothills of the Himalayas, so oh, it, wow. they have um, their religion is Buddhism. Okay. And so you'll see these beautiful, incredible temples up on hillsides and things like that. And so when you travel to Bhutan, I've actually been doing some research on it. You have to be accompanied by either you have to go with a guide um, or you have to go with a tour group. But whatever you do, there's a limited amount of people from outside of the country that can come in there. Okay. And I'm just, and because of that, and because of the fact that they have a very interesting culture, I want to go there. I think the fact that, like you just said, it's limited is probably what makes it such a special place. Yes. Because it doesn't get over overrun. Like I was, I just went to Hawaii for the first time and you were there. Yeah, you're, that's right. Yeah, you were there a week before me, I think. Yeah. I, and, just, I, and by the way, I loved your shots. You had some great photos. Thank you. I'd like to hear a little bit more about where you went. Yeah, and yeah, too. yeah. Um, but so I had never been there before, and I mean, only what I knew about was from watching Magnum PI as a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which most people, when I say that, the thing about the new one, I'm like, no, not the new one. I'm talking about the original one, um, Tom Selleck. But I, I was really interested to see how much tourism defines that those islands. I mean, without it, it would it's crazy, and. I had heard about localism there and it being an issue in some places and and I get why. I mean like I I get why they wouldn't want it to to be too overrun and over um developed because it changes the way that the island functions and the um the landscape and the nature and the resources because mm-hmm. everything's limited because it is an island. Mm-hmm. Um but it was really cool to still see a place that has their culture still rooted there and um continue oh yes yeah yeah so did you you did you go to the big island so we went we were on oahu for a week and then we went to the big island for a week and those are just completely different places yes that was so crazy to see something that is really not that far away from each other it's in the same ocean it's the same it's they're both islands but they're completely different landscapes. Yes. I mean, one's a desert in some spots and then one has like the rainforest kind. It's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, we went to the Big Island because um, there are some of the, that has the best examples of the early temple complexes. Huh. So there are two there that are pretty large. They're the biggest in Hawaii. And it, because at one time when King Kame, Kamehameha Kamehameha was he basically united all of the different islands before that they had all these different kings and everything right and so he built two very large temples there and that was kind of the capital before westerners arrived okay yeah so we Betsy and I found that very interesting and we talked to a lot of people that um, were native Hawaiians and they, they they believe that there is a spiritual side to the land that's front and center, just like what I was telling you about in Bali. Mm. And a good example of that is 
Um, of course, you know that the Big Island has um, a lot of volcanic activity. Yeah. And in the past, many times homes have been lost because of right. eruptions and magma and all that kind of stuff and lava flows. But when you talk to a Hawaiian about why that happens, he said, well, it's Pele. If Pele wants to take the land, there's nothing we can do about it. It's right. her land. You know, so again, very different than, yeah. you know, if a hurricane comes, <laughs> we, we don't say, well, you know, nature yeah, is yeah. always in control. But over right. there, they, they have a much different relationship with nature and they look at it in a different way. Yeah, it's that is interesting. And when we went, we went to the volcano and it uh, it became dormant two days before we got there. Okay. So there was like no activity and, <laughs> and I've never seen an active volcano. So I, they're like, yeah, it's dormant. I'm like, oh, okay. We walk up and just nothing. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I was like, really? But um, it was crazy to see like a crater. It kind of, I've been to the Grand Canyon and it kind of reminded me of that in the sense of just like everything's flat and then all of a sudden, boom, just like a crater, just a huge crack in the yeah. earth. And, it's crazy to see that. Yeah. And you also realize that over there, the land, it's geologically, it's very young. It is. It's the young, it's the youngest island. It yeah. is. Yeah. And at some point, millions of years from now, um, the big island will be a shallow reef and there will be other islands in front of it so that nice. are rising. And if you look, I, I was, um, I, we were in, stayed in pretty much in, airbnbs and that type yeah. of thing and one of them they had an atlas of the hawaiian islands and so oh, there was a lot cool. of really good information about the geolo geology of the the islands and literally it's a chain of islands there's probably 30 of them but most of them are underwater oh my because gosh. millions of years ago they were up above you know yeah they were above you know the and had land and now they're they've sunk down Oh my goodness. So, and that so will just weird. continue on. It's so crazy to think about. Yeah. How that, it's just like, it's like a machine that's just like, mm -hmm. just fluctuating. And um, it was really, it's a beautiful place though. Did, um, what was your favorite uh, part of the islands or what did you, what kind of fascinated you about it? On the second day we were there on Oahu, we did a kayak tour where we kayak to. This was on the North Shore and we kayaked to, um, there are these two little islands that are out there. I don't remember the names of them, of course, but okay. we, we did this kayak and it was just so cool to be, I love kayaking and um, yeah. it was so amazing to be able to see, have such clear water and then just kayak to this island where this magma was and we saw a monk seal and just hiking around this little island and that to me felt so, it felt very pure to be able to just hop on a kayak and then just take it up in the open ocean, passing other little, little islands, seeing the island from the water and just get on this island and just to be able to be there and then the small little structure just hanging out. Like, yeah, I thought that was such a neat, like crazy thing that you can kayak, you can kayak many places, but there I've never been able to do that type of thing where I can kayak to a little island in the tropic. And, you know, it's just, it was beautiful. Yeah. And that's a good word. Pure. I think if you, there are places that are still like that yeah. on, in Hawaii, but you have to really look for them. Right. You don't, you're not going to find it if you go to the, 
you know, Mount Acaia Resort and, right. you know, to some hotel and sit up by a pool all day and check out the beach. Yeah. You have to really look for those places, but they're there. Yeah. And so that was, that was one of the coolest things we did. And then we also did a hike called Willy Willy Nui. It was on Oahu and it oh. was this hike that there was like only like three other people on. It started in like a gated residential neighborhood. So you had to get like a, a ticket to come in and there were only like seven parking spots for it or something. And it was this really, really awesome ridge hike that you then had a 360 degree view of the whole oh, island. Wow. Amazing. And it, Fantastic. that was crazy because I'd never done a, I don't think I'd ever done a ridge hike like that. And I am a little scared of heights. I, I'm going to prep. So I do get a little nervous. Like I, I've been skydiving twice and like, I enjoy that, but something about climbing on the side of a mountain is a little different. I don't know. It's just, it was getting windy and I'm looking over, Oh, that's a, that's a ledge on the left. Uh, that's a ledge on the right. <laughs> if I fall, I better go forwards or backwards. But that was a really cool experience because it wasn't crowded. Yeah. And I think that was the big thing because the day before we did the Coco crater hiking to the classic stairs going up and, mm-hmm. It's cool. It, it, it's, it's definitely something you need to do. It's hard. Um, it's a good little workout, but I mean, so many people on it. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. you can't you really feel like you're a tourist and like you're in a, like a city when you're doing that because you're just surrounded by other people. Um, the views are beautiful, though, going on that. It, it's a cool experience. But I think the best part about the Willy Willy Nui, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, hike was the fact that there wasn't really anyone else on it. Mm-hmm. And the only other, one of the other people was a local guy and he told us like other tips about the islands and stuff. So like that was always, it's yeah. always fun to meet a local person. Yes. And they gave you like insider scoop on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime we could find some place that wasn't like a tourist hotspot was, was really fun. Yeah. And we had a similar experience to that, um, several on the Big Island, but one of our favorites was, and again, we do a lot of research before we travel. Yeah. So when I was telling you about these temple complexes, um, there is a spot on the, let's see, this would be on the leeward side of the Big Island. And this area, at one time had been a very big spot where um, the original Polynesians lived. Mm. And probably a thousand years ago, they would, there was a lot of travel between the islands. Right. They would travel back and forth and sometimes they would travel to Polynesia. Wow. And if you, if you do, if you're interested in the story behind that, it's fascinating because they they migrated from the islands further south at least a thousand miles and they really had no navigational instruments it was all done yeah. with um being a very observant of t- you know winds currents right using the stars you know to basically now na- okay we're going to navigate north and then um, eventually they found these islands but they would go back and forth once they did find Which them is nuts yeah, so there's a place there that um, it's a series. You, you see it up on the on a hill, and there's a series of vertical stones that are set amongst all these other stones. Huh. The stones themselves are maybe you know six seven feet high, but 
since then, they never really realized why they were there. Yeah. But they found out later, once they did a scientific study, that these are navigation beacons. So they represent almost like points on a compass. So this this stone would point you in the direction of, let's say, Maui. This one would point you in the direction of Kauai. This one would point you in the direction of um, Polynesia. And so... If you were if you were sailing or whatever, you would kind of use these as waypoints to start yeah. your journey. That and so, so cool. we went up there. It was kind of one of the last nights we were there. We kind of walked up to this place and we watched the full moon rising behind these stones. And it was just a very spiritual moment for Betsy and I just to know that thousands of years ago, people probably stood in this very spot and were trying to figure out where they were going to go and what journeys they were going on. So that is surreal. mm -hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. And and again, hard, not an easy place to find, but if you really put the time in, you can find these little kind of magical places like that. Yeah, that is. And it's crazy that. And and there was no one there. Yeah. The entire, I mean, it was just us. Which is crazy because it's an island. It's not, I mean, it's big, but it's not that big. So you would figure that everything would be discovered discovered and populated and um normal to see other tourists there but then you get to these places and you're like there's two other people here like yeah. this is crazy like i feel like there's not a ton of places like that on the mainland that mm-hmm. you can go to you know like unless you're like off-roading like in utah Wyoming, and you're like out there in the desert or something but well there's yeah. even some places like that in florida oh know? yeah there's re- yeah. yeah yeah if you really the wild places are still there. In fact, when we were in this, if you've never been to St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge, it's incredible. It's hundreds of thousands of acres of just wilderness. Hmm. And you'll see it on, if you look at a map of Florida, yeah. it's this big giant you know, place where there's nothing. <laughs> and once you get there, and you drive into the, there's one road in and one road out. But if you want to see a, the what Florida looked like before, you know, the Spaniards came and all that, yeah. check that place out because it's pretty amazing. It's, 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 um, it's all been preserved. There's a lot of wildlife and the bird life there is, there's tons, thousands and thousands of birds there. Oh, that's awesome. Dang, that is cool. So yeah, they, those places are still around, but you just have to yeah. kind of look for them. Yeah, it's it's the looking that I think a lot of people don't mm-hmm. like. It's not as fun to do that part. You know? Yeah. Well, we kind of I think we all um, we get into kind of a groove where we say, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, what's easy and yeah, what, what can I go to? I don't have a lot of time." Right. Um, And that's one thing that I think has been a real gift for my wife and I is we do now have the luxury of time to kind of go to some of these places and really explore them in a um, deeply is the word. Yeah. You know, not just kind of check it out for a day, but hey, we're going to spend a week here. Quality time. Yes. Versus just just a deep dive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's definitely something that would be really beneficial. And it's hard. I think when you're younger and you're pursuing your career and all that, it's hard to find the time to do that. It is. Um, We, this is something I was talking about with my parents the other night because we bought a old Airstream and we're finishing 
they're they're gonna sell it so if you, if anyone's interested <laughs> in buying an old airstream uh, let me know it's a 21 footer uh, we have completely redone it um to the point where it's a we had to restrip it remake it it's like a fully shell now so it could be used for anything like someone could make a pop-up shop out of it they could use it as a camper they could use it as a studio or whatever um but the thing we were talking about was we don't have as much like i don't have as much time to go and do things that i would like to do is like you think about you that you think you would like mm-hmm. in hindsight and that is sometimes it is hard to find those moments where you can go and do something and have it be like a quality experience mm-hmm. um take the time my advice to you is yeah you know looking back my wife and i when i was in my 20s we were starting we had just started this business and we were building this marketing business but we really wanted to take the time um on our honeymoon to explore somewhere and so we took a month off in my 20s wow you know and luckily i had a the guy i worked with was very um, he understood what what we were doing and why we wanted to do it and that we, so we spent a month in New Zealand. Oh my gosh, that's and, awesome. And, and it just kind of, from that moment on after that trip, it, I re- started realizing, wow, this, you know, I love what I'm doing as far as my career is concerned, but this is going to give my life balance. And mm. so we've kind of started to pursue that. We've kind of kept that going throughout my whole life. That's awesome. That is that's a month that's cool new zealand yeah when you have a month you have a lot of time to really explore a place well and also i feel like when you have a lot of time you don't feel the pressure to rush yeah you know like you can you can slow down and enjoy Mm -hmm. the little things more yeah i feel like when you most times you go on vacation you go for a week it's like you got to do boom 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 every single day you know like you you got to just hit it and hit it and go and then that that's hard sometimes it definitely changes the experience yeah but even what we'll do sometimes is we'll take an afternoon and we'll go we'll go to spanish pond which is a great little park i don't know if you've ever been to that mm-hmm. it's a it's part of the tomuquin it's part of um what's the fort of oh, fort caroline national monument oh, okay on the other side there is an incredible area called spanish pond or, or round marsh and it's 15 minutes from here oh. and in the winter time you can walk the entire afternoon and maybe see four people oh my gosh beautiful spot 15 minutes from atlantic beach okay check it out sometime all right so what i'm saying is you don't have to travel far right you can you can have that quality time even around here well and that goes back to what we were saying about just photographing in your backyard yeah you you can still find things to photograph and the you can make them interesting through your skills as a photographer and like how you Mm -hmm. compose something yeah and i think even going to that place we've been there many times but you get to know it and you start seeing things that you never saw before the more you visit it you notice yeah yeah so sometimes you if you go back to a place over and over again you really again you kind of uh you dive into it deeply and you really get a feel for the place there's a lot of interesting history about that place too yeah there was a guy named uh willie brown that um who lived on that this land it's 
probably several hundred acres. His entire life, he was a Florida cracker, lived a very simple life in a cabin, hmm. no electricity, no running water. And in the 1970s, he could have sold that land for millions of dollars because wow. developers wanted it. Yeah. But instead, he donated the land to the National Park Service. Oh, wow. So because of Willie Brown, we have this gym that's just a few minutes from the beaches where you and I can go and see a, a you know, a piece of, ja you know, a piece of Duval County that probably has not changed in thousands of years. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, so but Willie Brown was the guy. He was a visionary. You know, think about it. He could have sold the land and yeah. been, but, he, you know, I thought to myself, wow, he, and he has all these wonderful quotes about, you know, if you Google him, he's, he was an interesting man. But, you know, I think he realized it was more important to preserve it rather than just develop it. Yeah. So. Huh. That's crazy. That's that's very cool. He did that, mm -hmm. though. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you about um, is what do you think of this, like, new wave of phone photography and how do you think it's changing like photography and how photographers operate i think it's awesome you do yeah. yeah um again i look through things with uh through a historical lens okay if you go back into the history of photography um a camera named the kodak brownie changed photography um brownies were cheap cameras that pretty much anybody could buy for, you know, they were a couple of dollars or whatever. Huh. And so it kind of took photography from this, um, this idea of it being only a few people had, you know, these big giant view cameras yeah. with big plates and with a brownie, you know, anybody could shoot photographs. And I think we're kind of seeing that again right. with um, um, using phone cameras. Um, I think it's good and there's there's good and bad about it. I think as a creative tool, they're getting better every year with every update. In fact, I would say 30% of the time, I'm using a phone to shoot certain things now, you yeah. know, on a shoot or whatever. Um, the bad part is, is the proliferation of imagery is just, I think, I think the issue I see is that just because your phone camera can shoot a thousand pictures you shouldn't be putting a thousand pictures on your instagram page <laughs> yeah there <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> so so the bad part is is you're just we're inundated with so many images that it's kind of hard just to wade through all the stuff you see every day yeah so my you know what i say is quality over quantity mm -hmm. one of the things that the nat geo editors taught me was be ruthless in um your editing Mm -hmm. If you shoot a thousand, what they always told me was for an assignment, the photography would submit 4,000 photos and they would end up picking four. Yeah. So be your own editor, um, be ruthless in looking at your own work and saying only the best is I'm only going to publish the best. Yeah. And when I was first starting out, I would take pictures of people and I would send them 300 pictures. Yeah. And They'd be like, oh my God, this is a lot. <laughs> and I realized I should not do that anymore. And yeah. it, it is true. Quality, definitely over quantity. Um, yeah. And I think that tr transfers into your phone is like, even though you can shoot a ton of photos with it, if you're going to shoot a, you know, to shoot a good photo, 
there I always say the rule is you're going to maybe get one or two good shots on a shoot. Right. You know, maybe one or two or three if you're lucky. Yeah. But those are the ones that you should be publishing, not everything that's on your phone. Yeah. It is, it is pretty funny that because it's so easy to take a picture with a phone that yeah. you just pull it out. And uh, Chris Burkhardt has a, I don't know if it was him, but he always says this quote. Um, and he says the best camera is the one you have yes. with you. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. That is something you always have with you. And it is cool that it's bringing people into the photography world that maybe wouldn't be because they're realizing they do enjoy taking pictures and it does take a, a, a good picture. So then it has them wanting to get a real camera, you know, just like it builds. Um, but that, that is very true. Well, that and and a, here's a great example of that. When we were when in Hawaii, we were hiking in this lava tube, mm -hmm. which is basically a cave where the lava, you know, flowed right. through underground. Well, I had my little, you know, Sony camera. I'm trying to set that damn thing up in a cave and try to, <laughs> and it was just, and the, I pulled out my phone and the iPhone has this new night yeah. mo photo mode. It's awesome. I'm going, oh my God, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I started shooting pictures and what it'll do is it goes for maybe two or three seconds. And yep. if you hold it really steady, it's kind of, I guess taking hundreds of pictures and putting them together. I don't know exactly how it works. Yeah. But I was amazed at the quality of the shots I was getting. Yeah. So there's a great example of, hey, phones are, they're becoming serious uh, photography tools. Yeah. In the right, in the right um, situation, they are better than I think a DSLR. I, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think uh, Zach Noyle, he had a, he had a really cool, water shot i think you use access go too right yeah yeah I, have, he, yeah, he, I started using one yeah, yeah it's a for people who don't know it's a a really really nice water housing for people to shoot in the water um has like a dome port on some it's got a pistol grip it's it's really really cool setup and he had an actual front page picture published on like surfer or something of in in, in hawaii and it was a beautiful shot and it was taken with his phone like yeah it's crazy yeah so i think photographers are seeing the, the what you can do with them and yes the fact that the um you're getting multiple lenses on these cameras now what i wonder is what's it going to be like 20 years from now 50 years from now the yeah. quality of the those lenses is only going to it's going to be exponential the the increase in all of the capabilities yeah. of these of these phones on the cameras that are on them. Well, and I think I think having a camera on a phone that's so good also pushes the camera manufacturers, whether it's Sony, Canon, or Nikon, whoever it is, to make a better camera. You know, so they put more stuff yes. into it because they still want to be the leader in the photography world. So. If you look at the cameras that are coming out now or coming out next year or whatever, the amount Ooh. of stuff that is put into it is absurd. It is. 8K video, <laughs> 50 megapixels, 15 to 20 frames per second, all in one camera, no heating. I mean, yeah. it's absurd. But yeah. I what, think what I have learned though is that the camera can be great, but if you have a good piece of glass, that makes all the difference. It makes it, and that yeah. is something I've, I've, definitely i'll keep my camera body for a while but i really have invested in proper glass because that makes a huge yeah. difference yeah i've noticed in just in the lat these 
these new lenses that uh, Sony has, these G Master lenses. Are, oh, unreal. Man, they're incredible. I'm, use, I'm just sh using mine. I have a newer one, and I just use it on my little crop sensor Sony. So it's super light. Yeah. It's easy to pull out, you know, if I'm on the, if I'm on the paddleboard to get a shot and man, the quality is just incredible with those new lenses. It's, it's crazy. They are really heavy though. They're probably heavier than the crop sensor <laughs> yeah. camera there, but, uh, they're, they're amazing lenses. I love yeah. them. And, and you know, the, if you get the right one, um, they can do, they're much better than a camera, but I bet in a few years, cameras will be, they're going to get closer. I mean, the, the phone cameras will get better and better. Yeah. I, yeah. I think so too. I think they, I think that's always something when they release a new phone, that's one of the biggest things they talk about is the camera and how new the camera is and what it can do now. And I think that's just going to get better and better. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really cool to see, like, it'd be awesome to see if, cause I know there are third-party companies that make like lenses you can attach on. I mean, I'm sure that at some point Apple might make their own extra lens attachments that would be proprietary and that would work perfectly. Yeah, and we'll see what Apple does with, um, I think even the technology like this night mode is really interesting because it's more than just shooting the picture, it's using software Mm -hmm. to basically create the picture right and we're not we're just kind of right now on the cusp of that i think you're going to see all these new ideas as far as photography is concerned about what software will end up doing with right an, in other words when the image is taken it's it's creating some kind of effect or whatever we can't even imagine yeah it's a it's an exciting time for cameras the past year and a half or two i mean they've really i mean from the actually the camera companies and the phone they've really just pushed out a lot of a lot of cool stuff they have and it, it'll be cool to to see what else they can bring out and then the doors that that will open yes like through the new technology mm -hmm. so i'm excited me too well thank you so much tom for coming out and uh if you want to say the name of your book and where you could get sure. it yeah. Sure. So uh, the name of the book is called Sacred Waters. Um, it comes in three versions. There's a version, there's an ebook version for an iPad, an ebook version for an iPhone, and the soft cover edition is just. Um, I approved all the proofs a couple of weeks ago at the printer, and that one will be available in a couple of weeks. If you want to buy or purchase any of those versions, you can go to my website, which is www.tomshifanella.com. And it's S-C-H-I-F-A-N-E-L-L-A. -L -L you can also go to my Instagram page. There's links there that will take you to the store um, form that's on my website. And my Instagram page is at tom.n.abf. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming out. I really thank you. Appreciate I appreciate it. the time and it was a wonderful conversation. Um, yes. I think we I learned something about you and uh, it, it was uh, very stimulating. Thank you. Yeah, this was awesome.